It's Monday. It's October 28th. And the word of the day is pizzle, which means to beat someone with a dried bull's penis, and was apparently a common enough method of flogging to earn its own word. Used in a sentence, whipping hurts more when your skin is wet, so let's hope you don't get your pizzle in a thunderstorm. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. So I always keep a dry and brittle pizzle nearby. Uh, exactly, that's the excuse. I'm no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick, and broadcasting delayed from America's far center, we are the Skeptocrats. On this week's episode, Boris Johnson will try to saw the channel in half. Marsh will put up with my swan jokes. And Heath won't be here for reasons that have nothing to do with getting pizzled. <laughs> We're tired of taking those questions, damn it. But first, the rest of the intro music. No, I'm telling you, Mom, check the papers. What do you mean you canceled it? Well, well, then go to Starbucks and buy one. There he is. Oh, uh, Mom, I've, I've got to go. The president's here. I love you. I, I, I understand you feel that way, but again, you can just let me say it, right? It is not unpatriotic. Well, oh, oh, you know what? We'll talk about this later. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. President. Well, did I nail it? Or did I nail it, TIE Fighter? Uh, nail what, sir? Uh, Benghazi. We just killed him, and I gave my big speech. Did you see it? No, I, I was on the phone and was unaware you were going to give a big speech. I, I feel like I already know the answer, but how, how did it go? Fucking great, that's how. Steph, Steph, did you see? I, I totally saw. Right? Right. 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 Tyler, you remember uh, press secretary Stephanie Grisham, right? Yeah, of course. She uh, she crashed her car into my house last week. Well, excuse me for making a booty call. No, I- I'm sorry. What's up? Uh, Mr. President, why is CNN saying you mentioned him dying, crying multiple times? Um, because he fucking did. Up top Donnie. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you won't let me say that about other people we kill. So. Well, that's that's true, sir. I won't. But I, 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 I don't know. I was thinking this could be more of a, a silent triumph, you know? I, I mean, you've, you've finally done something that all Americans can get behind. Drone warfare. No. Uh, no. I was talking about the perpetrators of 9-11. Did I ever tell you what I saw? On 9-11? You know what I was you did, there? sir? And if you recall, I took away Mario Party until you promised to stop telling Americans that lie. It's not a lie. I was fucking there, Tyler. You, you were in New Jersey with Muslims who were celebrating 9-11, Stephanie? Center stating 7-11, exactly. I was getting a kebab. Oh, my God. I'm, like, starving for a kebab right now. Are you guys starving for a kebab? Oh, my God. I would murder a kebab. Just like you just murdered Muhammad Ali, bitch. You know it, bitch. That's not... It's, it's, sir, I'm looking for this transcript, and, I, and I'm I'm amazed. That a boy. I knew we'd get you on. No, not in that way. It, you managed to somehow blow this. I mean, you literally said... He died like a dog. He died like a coward on national television. I think 
I think that was what I was saying about John Kelly. I don't think that was Ew. right. Steffi gets it. Fuck John Kelly. He just didn't get how like fucking smart you are. Right. Even after I told him about the double whopper. Oh my god, it's amazing, Tyler. You Listen take to two whoppers and, and put them together you- to make a double whopper. I've told you guys both. This is a sandwich you can already purchase at the restaurant. Uh, if only, big guy. Now, come on. Let's go out somewhere. Let's get somewhere nice and pop some Chap Agni, huh? Some Chap Agni? Way ahead of your bed. That's my girl. You pre-gamed us killing the head of a terrorist organization? You bet your tight little butt we did. But real, I need to ride with one of you. My breathalyzer killed itself. Again? Oh my God, you sound like them. You do sound like them, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> And so I said to him, the skeptical answer is, I don't know. Yeah, but still, it, it was his wife, Noah. Whose side are you on, Marsh? Merry Christmas. It's October 28th, Eli. We're, we're not even close. Well, consider this an early Boxing Day. I got us all life insurance. Life insurance? That's right. Tis the season to elect benefits through your workplace. Most people know open enrollment as decision time for healthcare coverage, but it's also the perfect moment to reassess your life insurance needs. To properly provide for their families, most people need 10 times the life insurance coverage than they get through their jobs, which means that your employer's life insurance is leaving you uninsured. Well, Eli, that's really sweet of you, but I just used policy genius. Thank you. And what's policy? No, no, policy genius. It's the easy way to shop around for a life insurance plan that's not tied to your job. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. And once you apply, the policy genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. Plus, the life insurance you buy through policy genius stays with you even if you leave your job. And policy genius, it doesn't just make it easy to get life insurance. They can also help you find the right home and auto insurance and disability insurance, too. So when you're looking at your workplace benefits this month, make sure to double-check your life insurance options. Then go to PolicyGenius.com to get quotes and apply in minutes. PolicyGenius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Oh, all right, Marsh. It looks like you're the only one who gets a Boxing Day this year. Boxing Day is actually after Christmas. You know what? I'm going to South America soon. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. There we go. <laughs> One of the surest ways to keep viewers coming back is the classic will-they-won't-they trope that we all know so well from couples like Ross and Rachel, Jim and Pam, the neighbors in Untitled Goose Game, and of course, in their (laughs) rapid development of the new pre-apocalyptic genre of political thriller, the UK has employed the same method. We can see that the UK and EU are in love despite all their public antagonism and setbacks, but we still open the papers every day wondering if this will be the day they reconcile. Well, to help keep us abreast of the twists and turns, we're happy to welcome back our British correspondent, Michael Marshall, as the project director for the Good Thinking Society. He's the host of Be Reasonable and Skeptics with a K, and he's the guy Eli's been trying to coax into his Jeff Goldblum flying machine for the longest march. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thank you so much for having me back on the show, guys. It's uh, You know that shit has gone down when you have to get me back on here. You know that we're on fire on this side of the pond, so it's uh, yeah. it's a pleasure to be able to explain exactly what's burning <laughs> and, and what it smells like as it burns. Also, I probably need a new name for my fly machine, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, I was thinking maybe an acronym. Something we could go with an acronym. All right. So, yeah, right. So, Marsh, we had you on ancient fucking history now in terms of in the Brexit timeline on September 2nd. Uh, and basically, within hours of the episode airing, everything we talked about was anachronized. The last time we talked, your fucking Fraggle Rock, where are they now, PM, was suspending Parliament. The Queen was complaining that she could barely even keep track of the swans, let alone save democracy. And everybody was counting down to Halloween at midnight for the purge to begin. And then, and it was fucking amazing every step of the way, Boris Johnson proceeded to have the worst September of any UK citizen since the Battle of fucking britain so so let's let's rewind time a little bit and uh, i figure maybe we could start with the supreme court they weighed in on the uh prorogation is, is so is parliament in timeout now or uh or no so it's not and and what actually happened was was pretty great so the whole thing the whole prorogation the you know the suspension of parliament went to the supreme court the supreme court we haven't had one of those for very long most people i'd argue did not know that it exists that we even had one in the uk and i was one of those people i had no idea that we had a supreme court so this this really came out of nowhere um, and it, it could have gone either way. There was some worry that uh, some judges might lean one way or the other, that it might not be a kind of a, a good decision. But in the end, the Supreme Court unanimously ruled uh, against Boris Johnson's uh, prorogation, saying that it doesn't matter what his intent was, the effect of it was to, uh, to frustrate Brexit. Because his whole argument here had been, this is nothing to do with Brexit. The prorogation was a normal, everyday thing. We do it all the time. It's totally procedural. There's nothing at all to do with Brexit. They unanimously ruled that it would be frustrating Brexit to have this prorogation. And Boris Johnson immediately came out and said, well, this just shows they're trying to stop Brexit. So the, the prorogation that had nothing to do with Brexit is then uh, the, the prevention of that prorogation is apparently frustrating Brexit. But yeah, <laughs> specifically what the Supreme Court decided, and it's kind of a bit technical because lots of people have been trying to say the Supreme Court have try, tried to weigh in on Brexit. The papers are trying to say that ju- the judiciary are trying to grasp control of uh, of the direction of the country and that it's kind of a, a judicial coup but specifically what the supreme court have actually decided is whether prorogation actually happened so johnson prorogued parliament all the mps went home and then the supreme court got to decide whether that happened or not and effectively what happened was uh, the supreme court decided that the previous few weeks had basically been a dream like the ninth series of dallas <laughs> and you know Boris Johnson woke up to find the Speaker of the House, John Burko, in, in the shower washing his hair, saying, I don't know what, yeah. <laughs> what you're thinking. It all just it didn't happen. So, yeah, the, that, the whole thing was just imaginary. Prorogation didn't actually happen. It was business as usual from there on in. All right. I think you're trying to soften me up by looking up analogies that will work for an 80s kid. Um, <laughs> We're so lucky he didn't use a BBC show. It's just like, it's yeah. like season seven of The Shrampshires when Harleford turns out not to have been in the bin. To be honest, if you look at who was on the BBC in the late 70s and 80s, we're not allowed to reference anything that happened in that building <laughs> for any of those decades. That's fair. That is fair. All right. So it, now, it, and of course, it, it became pretty obvious pretty quick exactly why Boris wanted Parliament sidelined because... Pretty much, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the day that the episode that you were on of the Skeptocrat aired, Parliament 
voted to prevent the no deal Brexit that he wanted or at least wanted to be able to threaten. Do I do I have that right? So, yeah, pretty much so. There was a thing called the uh, the Ben Act, uh, which was uh, a bill, bo- an act brought forward by uh, an MP called Hillary Benn, a wonderfully British name there, just to, to continue keeping you guys uh, excited about the, the level of Britishness of this whole thing. We had Hillary Benn uh, brought forward this uh, this act that uh, required that the, palm- the, the Prime Minister request another extension if Parliament couldn't pass the withdrawal agreement. So Boris has got this kind of agreement. We had pr- previously Theresa May's agreement. The idea being, uh, if you can't get Parliament to agree what leaving looks like, you have to, by law, request another extension. Which looks pretty clear at that point that Boris Johnson, his government, had nowhere to go. Except the day that law passed, a member of his cabinet was on television or was, was interviewed by a journalist to say, if you, uh, if, if you do lose this, if you can't get the deal through, will you request an extension? And they, their answer wasn't yes. It was specifically not yes. They said, uh, we, we don't intend to request an extension, although we will definitely comply with the law. We won't break the law, but we also won't do what the law requires us to do. So we had this kind of uh, frisson of kind of uh, this uh, Schrodinger kind of moment, this, this paradoxical moment uh, where the government was like, well, we may well, we, we're not going to break the law, but we're not going to do what the law says. It's a really, really curious kind of uh, place to be. Then Boris came out and, and went even further to say uh, he'd rather be dead in a ditch than request an extension to Brexit. He said, I, I have no intention of requesting an extension. I'd rather be dead in a ditch. Um, I think I think if you put that to the British voters, they would probably mostly agree. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I mean, that is one referendum I am 100% behind us having. I, I have no problem with that. Um, so it meant instead, because we, we because the, they weren't allowed to prorogue, uh, and they now had this kind of looming deadline of the law saying, if you don't have a deal in place by the end of the month, you have to request a, a, an extension, which they may or may not do, they were saying at the time. Uh, Boris then went off to Europe to uh, negotiate his own deal, uh, and he needed to have that by, by the 17th of October. And that's kind of where we were once those uh, those laws were passing. Okay. So yeah, in his continuing audition for the title of the British Trump, he's, he's been a, a, quite the deal maker. So uh, what does the, uh, what does Boris's deal look like? Well, that's the thing, you see, um, because getting a deal with the EU, and this is just a deal on the process of leaving, the transition of leaving. It's not even w- what you'd consider a deal with the EU, like future trade agreements and all that kind of stuff. It's mm. just what does getting out look like before you figure out what the world looks like once you're out. Um, but getting that deal with the EU, when you still have all the same problems in place, the same red lines in place that the government previously had, um, you're always going to be as hamstrung as your predecessors were. And, and because we were meant to leave on Halloween... Um, and we're nearly at Halloween now. Um, it's useful to think of an analogy. You remember Theresa May's deal, right? And she'd bring it forward and it would be get, it would get killed. And then a couple of weeks later, she'd bring it forward again like nothing had happened. And it was basically mm. a zombie. You know, you can shoot it, but it's going to come back from the grave and it's going to carry on. It's going to get b- right back up. It's going to carry on attacking. You can shoot it down again. It'll get back up. And Theresa May's became this kind of zombie deal that could not die. She'd just keep re- bringing it back to you. And the thing about zombies is there's never just one zombie. You know, it spreads. And essentially somewhere down the line, Boris got bitten by Theresa May's deal. And then he just brought that same deal back. But the thing about zombies is, you know, because they're dead and rotten, bits of them fall off occasionally, don't they? They kind of, they're all a bit rotten and fall off. So Boris's deal was basically Theresa May's deal that had been killed several times with bits of it falling off. 
So the Irish backstop to prevent uh, a hard border in Ireland, that had fallen off. Protection for workers' rights, that had somehow mysteriously vanished by the time the bill was brought forward. And the whole bit about staying in a customs union until we actually have a trade agreement agreed, that had fallen off as well. But other than that, it was basically the same as Theresa May's deal. And it had this big gaping hole in the middle of it, like a trapdoor to no deal, that said, if we can't, if we push this deal forward, this withdrawal agreement, and then can't actually agree any terms on future trade during that withdrawal agreement, we crash out with no deal anyway. So the idea was that even though we brought in a law to say there is no way we can have new, uh, no deal, he put forward a deal that involved an almost inevitable trapdoor to no deal. And that was his kind of, uh, that, that's what his deal was trying to do. It was um, a ludicrous piece of uh, legislation that you'd imagine nobody in their right mind would look at. Well, and and it sounds to me like, especially with like leaving off the the, the stuff with the uh, Irish border and everything, that it was a deal designed to fail in order to spring that trapdoor, right? That's certainly the way it could be looked at. I mean, it's hard because on the one hand, they do just want to get this done. And that's what they've been trying to, the, the, the slogan they've been, been trying to push since Parliament said, you, you can't uh, push for an ordeal. They've just been trying to push the slogan, uh, get Brexit done. It's time to get Brexit done, whatever that means. It's a meaningless phrase of get it done, get it over the line. And so, I think Johnson would have been happy if his uh, agreement had passed, if his withdrawal agreement had passed, but I don't think he'd have been too disappointed if it had gone through and then got a no deal out of it. Have they considered bringing over Larry the Cable Guy as a mascot? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to guess yes, they have. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the there. worst thing. It's not the worst idea they've had in all of this. I mean, you, you mentioned the Irish border and setting aside the Irish border issue. This is a major problem, even for Boris's deal. You know, it's, it's just not going to, to, to work, essentially, because... If you have a problem where you can't put up a border in Ireland, you can't have a customs check, a single point where you have to check everything coming into Northern Ireland from the Republic of Ireland, the way Boris was going to deal with that was to have three separate borders in Ireland, essentially one further into Republic of Ireland, one where it is, and then one the Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and uh, and UK mainland. And that was the solution. If if one isn't bad enough, well, three of them, that's going to make everybody uh, everybody happy. As long as you keep it to an odd number, yeah. Yeah, that's, okay. that's the key. It was a plan that was actually rejected before he'd even announced it. It was leaked and Ireland went, yeah, that's not going to fly with us. Um, <laughs> and then you had the DUP. I think I mentioned the DUP last time I was on, the religious extremists that Theresa May had to get in bed with uh, in order to prop up her ailing government when she first won the, won the election. Um, these are hardline religious extremists in uh, Northern Ireland who insist that Northern Ireland is part of the UK and that's kind of their, their you know, pro-union is kind of where their whole stance is. They are wholly against Boris Johnson's deal because it would have this border uh, between Northern Ireland and mainland UK. And they insist that Northern Ireland has to have at all times the same le- laws and rights as mainland UK Asterisk. Because at the same time as insisting that, they're also vehemently against abortion rights in Northern Ireland passing. And abortion was oh, re- was illegal right. in Northern Ireland up until literally last week, I think it was, or the week before. Um, and the DUP were one of the forces pushing for that. So, so they were saying, we have to have exactly the same laws as mainland UK, except women's reproductive rights, in which case we get to do something different where we don't let them have reproductive <laughs> rights. Um, so that's a, a remarkable thing. They actually... Even last week when they were... Northern Ireland hasn't had a parliament for a thousand days now. 
It was uh, dissolved during a scandal, a really complicated and ridiculous scandal, and they've just not been able to put a parliament back together to agree a parliament in that time. But they actually were forced to sit to uh, debate the abortion bill, and they sat for a very short period of time before there were mass walkouts from all of the parties involved, and the chamber emptied, and the government recollapsed <laughs> over this. Um, so that's, that's, that's so the DUP. fucking Irish. <laughs> it is. It's 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 astonishing. So the DUP, they're against it, um, but. Even for uh, the rest of the, the the politicians in the UK, time was against this this uh, this whole deal to begin with. So Boris obviously he agreed this deal on the seventeenth. Uh, it needed to be agreed in term and debated in Parliament before it could be passed and therefore implemented before the thirty first, which was the deadline, which effectively meant that government would have three days to scrutinise these hundreds and hundreds of pages of the withdrawal bill, um, and. It, this wasn't going to fly for politicians. They, they just did not have uh, the time to do that. They, they, and this was not a, an acceptable uh, time period. Most MPs were just very vehemently against it for that reason. One of them, a Labour MP called Jim Fitzpatrick, he was fine with that time period, even though it meant he wouldn't have time to read the bill. And I don't know if you guys saw the interview he gave on the Victoria Derbyshire show. But yes, yeah, just a, a genuinely a staggering piece of uh, of, uh, of politics where he was asked, so this this really important bill, have you read it? No, no. Will you have time to read it? No. Have you no. tried to read it? No, no. Have you read the summary notes to it? No. But you are voting for it, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm going to vote for it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that she dumped it down to have you tried to read it and still he's like no, no. Yeah, haven't no. even attempted have you read the cliff notes no no yeah, I, I, I'm just going to turn have up to parliament at the pictures yeah, I'm going to turn up to parliament and look over the next guy's shoulder and just copy his his notes on it <laughs> yeah right right exactly if only there was an Asian kid in parliament I could copy off of <laughs> So we have this whole timeline issue. They had a thing called Super Saturday, uh, which is where Parliament sat to debate Brexit, debate this bill. And they they don't sit on a Saturday. They sat on a Saturday for the first time since the invasion of the Falkland Islands in the 80s. Uh, And it happened to coincide with the day there was a mass march against Brexit that had hundreds of thousands of people in London. I was there at the time amongst those hundreds of thousands of people. And during that debate, uh, there was an amendment put forward called the Letwin Amendment, which meant the Prime Minister absolutely could not go forward without approval of Parliament on this this withdrawal bill, um, and that uh, they'd have to have time, therefore, to debate it and pass the bill before he could do anything else. And it passed by about sort of 15 votes, something like that. And in that that streets of hundreds of thousands of people, when that vote passed, it was just an incredible moment of like jubilation and celebration. It was like, right, so we actually have a Parliament who's willing to take control of this. Right. Well, and also, like, we're out there marching in the streets and apparently making a difference in real time. That's pretty incredible. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the MPs uh, tweeted afterwards that he could hear the chanting of the th- hundreds of thousands of people during the debate. You can actually hear in Parliament the people outside chanting and uh, and, and shouting and calling for, uh, for for good governance here, for sensible governance, that kind of thing. So because it went down to just having three days to debate it, uh, the, the whole thing couldn't go forward and the government actually pulled the bill rather than have it to be debated and fail uh, and, and be voted against. But the irony here is the main thing that defeated this bill was a lack of time to debate it. And one of the reasons there was a lack of time is because some knobhead prorogued Parliament for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you what, if the last time you were on is any indication, we should probably pause to make sure none of this has radically changed since we've been recording. So we're going to take a quick break for a word from our second sponsor this week, The New Yorker. And Britain is Germany now. 
<laughs> but he doesn't know. Noah, it was their wedding day. That is not the point. Hello, gentlemen. Pip, pip, and all that. Eli, why do you sound like Dick Van Dyke's dialect coach? Oh, don't mind him. He's been reading The New Yorker. Indeed I have, Marshmallow Fuel. The New Yorker represents the best writing in America today, don't you know? Beyond publishing the best writers in the world, The New Yorker holds people in power accountable through rigorous reporting and compelling storytelling. I mean, that's true both online and in print. The New Yorker covers a full range of topics, including politics, news, international affairs, climate change, the environment, popular culture and the arts, fiction, food, humour and cartoons. Yeah, yeah, I really like John Cassidy's political writing. Right? And Evan Osnos, a Pulitzer Prize finalist, has been a New Yorker staff writer since 2008, covering politics and foreign affairs. And they've got smart people cartoons, old bean. That's right, they do. And right now, folks can get 12 weeks of The New Yorker for just $6 plus the exclusive tote. Just go to newyorker.com slash skeptocrat. Again, listeners save 50% when they enter skeptocrat. newyorker.com slash skeptocrat. You'll be able to see in the dark. Does, um, does Eli think British people can see in the dark? I, I don't know, man. Probably. Like a bat. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. When we last left off, Boris's zombie was still limping forward. Now, I don't think we ever settled exactly where we were on that. So what is the status of, of Boris Johnson's deal now? Has it already been voted down? Or are they still going to vote on it? What, so, uh, where are we at? Yeah, rather than it be voted down, uh, which is a defeat that Boris Johnson can't really, uh, with good conscience, uh, accept again because he's been defeated so many times in Parliament. So rather than it be voted down because they didn't have long enough to discuss it, the government actually withdrew it from consideration. So they were no longer putting the deal for uh, the, the deal forward uh, this week before the thirty first in order to be considered, which means Boris Johnson had to request an extension from the uh, from the EU for Brexit. Uh, the thing he said he'd rather be dead in a ditch than do. Uh, Boris Johnson then immediately did because uh, the government inevitably forced his hand because the law was there and he was trying to kind of uh, ignore it. Wow, um, what a coward! I have a ditch, Boris. I have a ditch. <laughs> I have the courage say, of your convictions, sir. We have we have your defense, Marsh. Go. <laughs> this is your chance. Yeah, there were there were no shortage of people pointing to ditches and said, "How about how about this one? Is that is this all right? Do you want to?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, wait, wait. Now I I read up on this and I don't know that I've got it right. <laughs> Is it true that Boris Johnson sent like basically one letter asking the EU for an extension? But a second letter saying not or, or something along those lines? Well, the thing is, Noah, that would be a ridiculous, childish, infantile thing to do. So, of course, it's true. Of course, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. So he did send uh, there were three letters. One was from the ambassador saying, here's two letters from the prime minister. Um, one of those letters was the one he was legally obliged to send, which was a short two paragraphs. Can we have an extension, please? And then the other letter was an explanation for why we shouldn't really have an extension and we don't actually need one. And actually, it's a bit of a waste of time giving us one. And if only my own parliament would stop tying my hands, I'd get get this whole thing sorted. I'd get Brexit Ooh. done. Um, so, yeah. He, and the, even more petty, the most remarkable petty thing is the letter he was legally obliged to send to ask for uh, for an extension he sent it unsigned as if that mattered he didn't oh, put his name oh, on it <laughs> just so you know hello it's the real load star of this brexit that i'm <laughs> so, 
So he sends him a letter that says, my mom says I have to apologize, I guess. Yeah, basically exactly that. (laughs) Okay, now, where is the EU on all of this, right? Like, they they granted the extension, correct? So they're discussing the extension at the moment. Um, All the signs are they probably will grant it, and and, uh, Tusk has come out and said uh, that uh, that they will be granted, that they're mindful to to, to grant it. Um, There are some... Uh, queries around whether everyone's on board. I think uh, Emmanuel Macron from uh, France is uh, questioning whether you could just keep giving the British uh, unlimited extensions and rather just get this whole thing sort of uh, done with. But he did that last time, and this is probably just political posturing. We we expect mm. they will grant an extension, um, almost certainly until January, the end of January 2020. Um, so we think it's we think it's gonna it's gonna come. I mean, it's weird. We've had, it's been going on so long. I genuinely had to Google in preparing for the show. I had to Google to see when we were originally meant, meant to leave. I had to actually check when the original leave date was. Cause I thought, was it March, April? It was definitely sometime <laughs> earlier this year. It was March 28th was the original. We are leaving no later than March 28th, 2019. Uh, that became October 31st, 2019. It may well turn into January 30th, 2020. And from there, who knows? Well, okay, but what happens now if Europe is just like, fuck you, no more extensions? Like, like the no-deal Brexit has already been blocked. They can't get a deal. What uh, would happen in that instance? I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't know. I mean, there are a couple of options that, that could happen. One is that we do uh, we do end up leaving with no deal because the law was only that uh, in the event of uh the withdrawal agreement not getting through the uk prime minister would request would have to request an extension the law we can't legislate for the eu to be mandatedly have to give us one you know so we we can only legislate our side of things so they they could turn around and say no deal uh sorry uh no extension and we'd be forced to, to, to crash out with no deal um, but at the same time, this has all happened because of a, a legal technicality called Article 50, which is the process of leaving the EU. Once you enact Article 50, that is the, the you, you've set the wheels in motion in order to leave. You could undo that enacting of Article 50 anytime you like unilaterally from one side it doesn't need bipartisan doesn't need both sides of the agreement to, uh, to, to to go forward so the uk could if if the eu said you can't have an extension we could if we wanted to say okay we'll withdraw article 50 and then everything stops all the brexit stuff goes away or at the very least because it obviously wouldn't just go away because this is the hell that we live in now this is the new reality um, <laughs> right. at the very least the the the, t- the timer would stop and then we could go away and if we had to reissue Article 50 whenever we think we've got our ducks in order. Um, I genuinely don't know which of those two would happen. The, revo- the revocation of Article 50 or the barrel off the cliff and drop onto the spikes below. I genuinely have no idea which of those two would happen. And I'm hoping I never have to find out because I think the EU is, is minded to c- make sure that that, uh, that bridge stays in place. But uh, eventually they're not going to and we're going to have to sort this whole thing out. But so far we're, we're relying on the adults in the room um, to, to still be adults and still be in the room. Okay, but so but that's... You know, you hit on the key point there. They can't keep doing this forever. And as I'm reading the, the, the tea leaves here, there are red lines on both sides here, right? Like this guy's red line goes further left than this guy's red line goes right. Or, you know, um, so it, it, it's, it's as though there was a referendum that says, you know, uh, the parliament has to make 
perpetual motion devices. You know, at a certain point of banging your head against the wall, you have to admit that there is no deal to be had. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, from a pragmatic point of view, that's exactly what uh, what we should be thinking. You know, the the red lines the government's put in place, and and the the Irish situation is a perfect example. The three red lines the government put in place is that Northern Ireland has to have the same set of laws as the mainland UK. Uh, that the Republic of Ireland can't be in the same customs union as Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland can't be in a different customs union to the UK. Those three red lines are internally inconsistent. You can't have all three of those at the same time. I know this one. There's a chicken, right? And then you got to put the chicken in with Northern Ireland, right? But then Northern Ireland... Yeah, so they have to come back together. You have to bring the chicken back with you. Right. No, that's it. That's it. So, yeah, the red lines the government have been working from are impossible. But also the the mandate they've got from the public is also unworkable because what they've promised Brexit to mean for the public is that we'll be richer, not poorer, that we'll have control of all, all our own laws but won't lose out internationally as a result of that. And those things are also impossible. By all intents and purposes, the vote to leave the EU with the, the, the red lines the government put in place might as well have been a, a vote to leave the solar system. You know, we might as well have promised that you, the UK will leave the solar system. And when people are saying, mm-hmm. why haven't we left yet? And you can point out, well, you know, we haven't got the rocket technology to lift an entire island off Earth just yet. And the gravitational pull of the Earth is pretty strong. You just have a lot of people shouting back, we voted to leave. The fact that we haven't left yet is pretty proof that you're trying to undermine democracy by keeping us anchored to this planet it's it's that <laughs> level of uh, of discourse going on right now all right so yeah and then here's the, here's the most important question i guess and we discussed this of course last time um and it's only gotten more confusing since how does a bureaucracy let alone an individual human being prepare for a thing that may or may not be coming in a form unknown now or soon or eventually or never yeah, it's it's proved tricky. That's fair. It's fair to say. Um, I mean, the government has tried a few a few tactics to uh, to sort this whole thing out. For example, they've uh, they've advertised uh, to UK citizens that they need to get ready for Brexit. There's been a hundred million pounds spent on a get ready for Brexit campaign. Um, you guys have received some of that because I keep getting those adverts on your podcasts. So I tune oh, nice. in to hear government propaganda saying the EU, uh, the UK is leaving the EU on the thirty first. Of October. Get ready for Brexit. So how do I get ready? There is no way for me to do that. And also, it's a bit f- fucking rich for the government to be telling me to get ready for Brexit when they should really be doing some of the legwork, uh, arguably. Um, the government Turn have up had your other. Maybe they're saying, "Get us ready for Brexit." Like, <laughs> <laughs> the government have had other ideas. innovative solutions to this as well. Uh, they've because this is such a such a propaganda led uh, exercise. Uh, they've released um, commemorative coins, or they've been printing commemorative coins. They sort of celebrate Brexit, uh, the the day of our kind of uh, sovereignty. Uh, Fifty pence coins. But the problem is, those coins keep having the date when we leave the EU printed on them, so they can't be released because originally it said March twenty. <laughs> and then they got shelved and they've all said October 31st and they've had to be shelved and one prominent Brexiter a guy called Marc Francois has said, uh, well, this is absolutely fine that we keep having to shelve these, uh, these coins because they'll become collector's editions. And one day, the, you know, uh, one of these coins will be worth 800 pounds in, in terms of it being a collector's item. Uh, to which the Guardian columnist Marina Hyde pointed out that, to be fair, one day a one euro coin could be worth 800 pounds if the country carries on going <laughs> the way it's going. <laughs> 
we've we've had other people who are preparing for Brexit by arguing we've already Brexited. This is one of my favourite things about Brexit. There is a legal case currently going through the courts of trying to get to the courts, a judicial review, uh, which is uh, brought by the English Democrats, a sort of an extremist party, really. Um, and they are arguing not that we need to leave or that we, you know, we voted leave and the, the government has to follow that up, but they're arguing we've actually already left and the government doesn't realise it. It's amazing. Their argument is literally nobody noticed we left the EU already. I don't see no universe around me. How do you how do you pull that off? Um, Well, I don't think they will pull it off. And I I really look forward to seeing what happens when it gets to a court. But they're sort of saying, well, the laws are in place that said such and such a thing that said we had to leave on the 29th and that the uh, actions which changed that date weren't viable and weren't legal. And therefore, we did already leave. It's a sovereign citizen kind of thing. You guys have those too? We, we do have awesome. them. And, and I, I don't know. I, this is kind of the Brexit equivalent, I think. And I don't know if they really believe it, but they've got an actual barrister on board willing to argue this. And I don't know if that's just about the money or whether he's passionately in favour of the argument, whether, he, whether this bar- barrister genuinely believes that we did already leave the EU and just nobody noticed. But I think if we did leave the EU already, someone would have spotted it. Someone in the UK, someone yeah, in the no, EU, it would have... <laughs> Someone would have flagged that up by now. Um, so pure Somebody denial. Somebody would have been trying to use a passport at some point in the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So pure denial is 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 one of the tactics. Um, but there is a serious side to this as well because this is causing abject chaos, and it's not just chaos now. There is chaos to come, and and one of the the big sources of uh, inevitable chaos that's around the corner is what happens to the three point six million EU citizens who currently live in the UK. Um, and they're all being told you have to apply for settled status to show that you're allowed to still be here. But the problem is the way in which you apply for settled status. You've got to pull together all these different kind of documents. You've got to submit it through a, an app, but the app only works on Android. And even then, it's fairly patchy. And you've got 3.6 million people trying to go through this process. Um, the app mm. is entirely kind of opaque. So people are getting, people who've lived here for 55 years are being told you aren't getting settled status. And with no justification as to why, no explanation as to why. And the government should have learnt their lesson on this because we just came out of a massive, massive scandal in the UK, the Windrush scandal, which I don't know if you guys, it maybe didn't make it over to uh, to the US how big a, a, of an issue this was. Um, but the Windrush scandal was that uh, after 1948, when obviously British workers were kind of depleted because of the World War, um, the, a rule was brought in to say, if you live in a British colony or a former British colony, um, you're a British citizen. So all of our British colonies in the West Indies and, and the Caribbean, uh, they were granted British citizenship in 1948, which meant they could come and live in Britain and therefore add to the workforce in terms of nurses and workers and various other things that we need. Uh, and during the 50s and, and from the 50s to the 70s, half a million people came over from the West Indies, the Caribbean uh, on ships. And the first of those ships was called the Windrush, which is why it's called the, the Windrush generation. These, these generation of people came over. And because they were UK citizens, they weren't given immigration papers, they were allowed to just be here. But then the laws changed slightly to say that you do need, when those uh, colonies left UK rule and they became independent, the laws changed slightly. And under May's government, Theresa May, when she was prime minister, thousands of those people, some of whom had lived here since the 1950s, were actually detained and had their rights, including their rights to healthcare, stripped. Uh, and they were threatened with deportation because of the way the law had changed in the meantime and the government hadn't hadn't bothered tracking the, the the people who were brought in at the time, who came over at the time, and who've spent the last 60 years of their lives as UK citizens. And at least 83 people were 
actually deported, despite being UK citizens, they were deported back to a country they hadn't seen for 60 years under this whole scandal. And that so was like half a million. Like, yeah, I was going to say that, 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 like, by necessity, these were, they were children when they were there last. Uh, well, not necessarily, because uh, many, some of them came over as children, some of them came over in their sort of early 20s in order to work as nurses and, and sort of enter the so workforce at that point. So they were 80-year-olds? Yeah, yeah. And wow. how many people are, are, are affected by this? We've no idea. We gen- the country still has no idea how many people were actually affected by this. We know how many people were uh, falsely and illegally deported, and that's 83, but all the rest of it. Wow. And this includes people being denied access to the National Health Service, something that they'd have paid into in terms of taxes for six decades, denied access because the, the, the records can't find citizenship papers for them. So that's half a million people. Um, it was literally last year that all this scandal was, was engulfing the government and was coming out. And we're about to run into exactly the same thing with 3.6 million EU nationals who are in this country who either have tried to register on the, on the settled status and the app hasn't accepted it or aren't aware that they need to do it. Um, there's all sorts of reasons why they might not be aware of it. And there are people who've lived here already for 55 years who've been denied settled status. Um, we've got a massive, massive problem coming. And this is just one of the many problems Brexit's going to cause, that people who are so pro-Brexit are just not thinking about or acknowledging at all, and the government are not at all adequately planning for. All right, so assuming, you know, assuming as you do that the EU is going to grant the extension, what's the next step? Like, what's the next big thing that we should be looking for uh, from from our uh, side of the pond? So we're definitely going to get an election. Boris Johnson is currently begging for an election because he can't get anything through his parliament. Um, part of the reason he can't get anything through his parliament is that uh, in the last series of bills that he brought forward, he fired from his uh, party anybody who voted against the government. So he fired 21 of his uh, MPs who went from being Tory MPs to being independent MPs or joined other parties. And now he's saying, oh, I've suddenly lost a massive majority. Where did they all go? Oh. I can't get anything done. Um, so there's a there's a, an election coming and it's going it, to... It, the government is saying either December the 9th or December the 12th, which is frighteningly soon. Um, but opposition parties are wary about those dates. And part of the reason for this is if we don't, if we get offered the extension by the EU um, and we uh, haven't had a chance to fully accept it before we announce an election and an elections on its way fairly soon, um, we're going to come into a problem because what happens in the UK shortly before an election government dissolves and goes into prorogation oh yeah right so if we right. prorogue before we've accepted the extension we don't get the extension and we crash out anyway so we're now in a position where they're saying we have to bank the extension and have that signed into law then we'll go for an election um the election is going to be before christmas which is annoying because not only did they fucking ruin halloween for us they're now going to start yeah. fucking with christmas <laughs> But Christmas is also a mad time to be having an election because all yeah. the places where you get you 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 know go to the polls, those polling stations, they're all in like community centres and schools and you know in other kind of communal buildings that tend to get busy around Christmas because it's nearly fucking Christmas. So whether that works, we've genuinely no idea. We've only ever had one, I think, uh, election in the last fifty years or more uh, that was near Christmas, and. The, the the incredible thing about all this, one of the many, many incredible things about all this, is the UK, this will be the third election in the last four years in the UK. 
And in 2011, the UK introduced a new law that says we have an election every five years, that Parliament is fixed for a period of five years. And since 2011, we've had three, this will be the third election. So I think technically, the election that we're having in December is technically the 2026 election. So <laughs> it's all nuts. And what would be beautiful it would be beautiful if the Tories lost this election. It'd be beautiful if Boris was no longer PM after this. Not just because he's awful, um, but because statistically he'd be the worst MP of all time, uh, the mo- worst uh, Prime Minister rather of all, of all time, because he lost his seven vo- first seven votes in a row, which is as many as Tony Blair, Blair lost in an entire decade. He didn't win oh, a, wow. a, one of his votes until the eighth uh, eighth thing he put forward, and even then it was a really soft uh, vote on uh, air quality legislation that everyone's like, "Yeah, obviously you're going to vote for that." So he that was his first win was something quite soft um but if he loses the election in december he'll also become the uk's shortest serving prime minister which again will almost make it worth it if boris johnson becomes the shortest <laughs> serving and statistically worst prime minister in all of british history um that that'd, that'd be perfect really um all right well now all the listeners know what marsh wants for christmas <laughs> <laughs> well yeah absolutely and, and the one thing the one last thing i'll say and this blew me away when i saw this in the in the newspaper the other day is they asked voters um whether they now looking back knowing what they know now do they think the referendum was a bad idea and the vast majority of voters say yes but there's not a lot of evidence that they would change their mind as to how they voted so that makes sense from a Remain point of view, because it means we, this was a terrible idea. We should never have done this. We should have stayed in the EU the entire time. But from a Leave point of view, they're saying this was a terrible idea and I'd do it again, damn it. You know, I, yeah, I don't, right. Which this just, that just sums up exactly how, uh, how febrile the atmosphere here is in the UK and how uh, bipartisan and divided everything's got and how everybody's just taken leave of their senses over all of this. Um, and that's, that's where we currently are. Awful judgy for a man who's held a conference in Manchester for almost a decade, Marsh. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I was actually just thinking about the fact that we're about to do the same damn thing in 2020. So, you know, the same kind of, yes, this was a mistake and we'll make it. A- so, yeah, yeah, brothers in arms. All right. Well, Marsh, I can't thank you enough for helping us sort all of this out. And uh, if, uh, if, if we can, I'd love to ruin another holiday for you uh, and have you back on in December when we know a little more. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. I'm sure there'll be uh, plenty to talk about by then as well. And that's going to do it for episode 108. Thanks to Eli Bosnick. Thanks to Michael Marshall. And thanks to all the listeners who liked us on Facebook, followed us on Twitter, and sent us feedback on all the various internets. Please keep doing that. Please keep listening. And please keep telling your friends. And if you find the naive stupidity of our giving away a free show business model to be oddly charming, please feel free to send us gifts of money at our donation page at patreon.com slash skeptocrat. Just like all the people Heath will compliment by name on the next episode. Sorry to tease you like that. And whether or not you're feeling financially benevolent like all those fine people, if you enjoy our brand of whimsy and you'd like to hear more dick jokes free of charge, Check out our brother and sister shows, The Scathing Atheist, God Awful Movies, and Citation Needed. We just have one last thing. Let's compliment that penis. Special thanks to Ryan Slotnick of Evil Drafts on Mars. He's the creator of the virtuosic musical stylings you heard today, which were used with permission. You should definitely check him out using the links we'll provide or by Googling the only band called Evil Drafts on Mars. Until next time, catchphrase sign-off. Four, five. 
usually because I do the edit on Skeptocrat or Heath does, uh, uh, Mar- uh, Morgan doesn't, and I usually don't do the five count because I want to show off that I don't need a fucking five count. <laughs> but then it occurs to me that Morgan never hears that or sees that or knows that, so I might as well just do the easier thing. Yeah, there's limited value to that. Oh, I like the drunk Stephanie character. That's good. I shit. love drunk Stephanie so much. <laughs> oh my god! Anytime. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm LLC. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.